Okay, uh, so this morning we are in, again, this is a very difficult part of the book of Revelation. I already said that. Uh, this is Revelation chapter 8. Uh, in Revelation chapter 8, we have, uh, looks like, uh, yeah, basically just four of the seven seals. You know that the middle of the book has these three numbered sequences. This book was originally written to be heard. And it was read in assemblies like this. And I, I don't know what it would be like for you to have me read all 22 chapters. Might be better than the stumblings that I try to come up with. Uh, so a lot of this stuff is numbered so that people can stay on track. And because this is revelation from God about the future that's designed to help people back then in the first century and us, it's, it's just... A 22-chapter kaleidoscopic montage of symbols. And these numbers mean stuff. Not only you know, were there seven seals on this scroll that John saw, but that number seven has some weight to it. Uh, it's a perfect number. It's a complete and a whole number. And so right in the middle of this book, we see these seven seals followed by seven trumpets, followed by seven bowls. Now, I've already said, and I'm sure I'll say it again, this book is like a symphony. It is very skillfully composed. It is intricate. It is complex. Hence, part of the difficulty in just how do we read it well. And so as we look here at these seven trumpets, I just want to remind you that this section begins in chapter 4 with John's vision. An angel says, look, and he sees a door open into heaven. So he has this vision of heaven. There's things going on in heaven even right now. And the dominant feature uh, in heaven is a throne, and a throne reminds us that somebody's in control who is sovereign. And um, in the hand of the one who was sitting on the throne was a scroll. We know what scrolls are. We don't use them, but we know what they are. This scroll was a little different in that it was written on both sides, and it was sealed Nothing necessarily special about sealing up a scroll, but it was sealed seven times. It was, it was completely inaccessible. It was in a safe, in a safe, in the basement of the locked bank. And nobody could get into it. And that just distressed John because he's suffering for his faith. And he's a pastor in a community of churches who are trying to live with the heat turning up higher and higher on their experience, like our brother was saying about persecuted church today, I, I, I would love to read this book with them. They would read and hear this book much differently than we do. Uh, John's upset that we can't hear the message of this scroll because it's sealed up and nobody can open it. And yet there's one who can open it. And so there's all this attention on Jesus Christ, who is symbolically represented as the Lion of Judah, that is a terrifically encouraging mascot of a victorious era in the life of this 
nation who was beset by Rome, conquered by Assyria and Babylon. Uh, They're exploited and, and burdened by oppression. And yet there's somebody who can open this scroll. And it's Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he, but he's presented as a lamb. And just like Randy just finished saying, I think he may have said this, he conquers by being conquered. He defeats death by dying. And so as he calls us to follow him, we find ourselves laying down our lives for him, giving of ourselves for him. All right, so uh, seals, the, the scrolls sealed up with seven seals. And then in chapter six, we read that the lamb... Christ begins opening these seals. He's the only one that can do it. And when he gets to the seventh seal, then the scroll can be opened. And instead of hearing what's in that scroll, we now, having just had a break in chapter seven, a pause between seal number six and seal number seven, We talked about that in here. I talked about it last week. That intermission was just, hey, take a break for a second. I want to encourage you that believers in Jesus Christ may not always be safe, but they're protected by God. They're secure. They're numbered. Uh, And and then we have this lovely vision of eternity at the end of chapter 7. And, and here we are now beginning in chapter 8. And we're, we'll take a look at it in just a minute. Okay, so you've got your notebook open maybe. Hopefully you have a... Do you see chapter 8? You've got Revelation chapter 8 sitting there in front of you. Uh, maybe with my notes as well. I just want you to just scan this page. There's not a whole lot of material here. Uh, there's, uh, we're going to talk about the seventh seal. Very unexpected. And then there's a little introduction uh, in verses two through six, a little preface, if you will, to the, to the trumpets. And then we have these uh, trumpets that begin to be sounded. Notice verse seven, I put it in bold print. You should be able to see it real easy. Verse seven, and, and, and four of them uh, take place in a very similar fashion, in a pretty straightforward fashion without a lot of detail. But then if, if you were to turn the page to chapter nine, as we look at the, well, just do that. Can you see chapter nine, Revelation nine in that, in your text there that, that I gave you? Do, do you see that the fifth trumpet takes 12 verses to talk about? Do you see that? And do you see that the sixth trumpet takes a lot of verses from 13 to the second half of the chapter? So, uh, the first four seals that were opened are like the first four trumpets. They're, they're fairly straightforward and they flow in fairly uh, quick succession. And there are four of them, which people say, and I don't have any reason to disagree, that that number four makes us think about the earth. Okay? Four winds, four corners, four directions. It. People say it, and I again, I guess I believe it in the book of Revelation that it's, it's the number of the earth. And so here we have these four trumpets and, and stuff happens on the earth when they get sounded. But, but, but another point that I want you to see, I want you to see that in verse 1, who is it that opens the seventh seal? That's an easy question. 
The lamb does. Who opens the trumpets or who sounds the trumpets? Not the lamb. I don't, I don't know if that's terribly significant, but just in terms of thinking about the book, Jesus cracks the seven seals. The scroll begins to be opened. And, and now, I guess, either as we head toward hearing what's in the scroll or as the scroll begins to be opened, other stuff begins to happen. So there's a finality of Jesus opening this scroll, and then as he, as, it, as he breaks the seventh seal, now we're dealing with angels who are sounding these trumpets. All right, uh, we'll talk about trumpets in just a second, but let's look at the uh, seventh seal in verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now... <laughs> The commentators ought to be silent because we're not told what the silence is. But they're anything but silent because they're commentators and they're trying to say things that are, and, and, and you know, you, you could talk about silence in the Old Testament. Silence oft, in the Old Testament often precedes judgment. But the fact of the matter is, I'm just, this is a little coaching tip for us all. And I learned this from another guy. A uh, young guy in my first church, he would often say, "We're not told. You know why this? Why that? We're not told. That's a good thing to keep in mind. We're not told a lot of stuff. And if you're like me, like all you want to know is what is wormwood? You know when we get down to that. Well, we can talk about that a little bit, but we want to try to hear what the text is saying." And just let it say what it wants to say. So whether we understand what the silence is or not, this is revelation from God. It's highly symbolic. And so just sit with the fact for a moment that when the lamb opened the seventh seal, after all this other wild stuff had gone on, for example, what, what happened when seal number six got opened? Do you want to flip back there for just a second? Chapter 6, verse 12. All this, all this apocalyptic language. Now, whether there was an actual earth, you know, th- this is a vision that he has. So in the vision, now certainly there were earthquakes. There was one yesterday or whenever it was. And there were certainly big culture-affecting earthquakes in the first century. There's a fantastic artistic rendering of one. Maybe I tried to talk about that last time. But uh, anyway, there's an earthquake. The cosmos is shaking. And we have people hiding in caves calling uh, to be delivered from the wrath of God. You see that at the end of verse 16 and 17? Now, I don't know. These are people who are getting ready to die. So when you hear people articulate and utter things who are getting ready to die, it's not calm. It's panic-stricken. It's terrorized. And I don't want to do that with the tone of voice in here because you fall out of your chairs, but they're, they're praying to be delivered from the wrath of God. All right. And then we have this break where we hear about God's people protected. And then, and then the seal gets open and we have silence for a half an hour. Now, on your notes here, Here's a little, you, you would benefit from doing this. Here's a little sonic tour. 
We just want to, you know, a Geiger counter, you ever see guys at the beach, you know, and they're looking for whatever, earrings or whatever. Uh, you're not supposed to do that in uh, National Civil War battlefield parks anymore because uh, it's illegal. But uh, if you would take a little Geiger counter and just look for the sounds in the book of Revelation, here's what you would come up with. Uh, you have a loud voice like a trumpet that John heard, and he turns around, he sees a vision of Christ. Um, you hear uh, rumblings and thunder from chapter 4 when we have this vision of God on the throne. Rumblings and thunder, okay? Um, we have four living creatures who are around the throne, and day and night, they never stop saying, I don't know what it sounds like. I think it probably sounded beautiful and compelling, something that you, you would never forget if you heard it. Uh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We have 24 elders who are bowing down. They're placing their crowns at the feet of the throne. And they're saying of the Lamb, you're worthy to receive glory for you created everything. Uh, we have a mighty angel in a loud voice saying, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Uh, we have four, the, the four living things and the 24 elders singing a new song. Uh, we have many angels singing loudly. I can't begin to imagine what that sounds like. I can't begin to imagine the comfort and the beauty and the encouragement that would come in hearing that. You, you've, you've heard people sing. And the, the, the cool thing about music is so often it either bypasses or it engages our minds, but it also engages our heart at the same time. That's really interesting. And so all of this directed at God. I would encourage you, if you're really into this, those of you who are really into this, go back and pray or sing those ascriptions of praise and glory to God a couple of times so that maybe when you're up in the middle of the night, you could praise God in that way. Worthy are you to receive power and glory and honor. Uh, so, so then we have these, the four living things, 24 elders singing. We have angels singing loudly. Worthy is the lamb. We have all creation singing eternal glory to the throne and to the lamb. We have a voice, hear a voice like thunder, martyred souls that are crying out. How long until you avenge our blood? And then we have that cry of panic that I just mentioned in chapter seven. John hears a number. He heard a number. 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe articulating this complete, perfect, I think, symbolic number of God's people reminding us all that we're of Israel. We, we came from Abraham. We're, we're part of this thing that God has been doing through eternity, chapter 7. Um, a loud cry, salvation belongs to God. Angels, four living creatures, 24 elders saying, amen, praise the Lord. All of that beautiful noise in heaven, lots of it. So then with all of that going on, that's just the sounds. If you were blind and you couldn't, you know, see the emerald and the rainbow and the sea like glass, if you couldn't see the everybody bowing down and all that, if you couldn't see any of that, you could hear it and it would be compelling. 
But John's been seeing and hearing it. So then when the angel opens the seventh seal and there was silence. It's designed to get our attention. And if nothing else, there's a couple of verses in the Old Testament. Here's one of them in your notes. The Lord is in his holy temple. And that's certainly where he is in the book of Revelation. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. I don't know what that means to you, but I think it's a sense of don't forget who he is. Uh, I've told you this story before about being a young kid, messy kid uh, in Colorado. And if I was your kid at that time, you'd be pulling your hair out. But I'm up there at this Young Life camp and I, there's a, we're on top of this mountain. There's a big cross there and engraved in the cross was uh, an inscription from, my, I forget what psalm it is. But it said, be still and know that I am God. That's not bad advice for any of us. Uh, I was walking in here and I, I don't know how I even heard this. Oh yeah, I do. It was the music the house music, and it said, uh, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. And that was a great, unexpected refreshment to me. So here's, here's silence in heaven for about half an hour. All right, we already talked about the difference between uh, Jesus opening the seals and angels blowing the trumpets. Let's think a little bit about trumpets so that we can think about the relationship in, in this book, right? These three, these three central sevens, seals, trumpets, bowls. Uh, th- there's, there's so much intricate detail. I don't want to necessarily bore you with it. We don't need to bore down into all of that, but... Suffice it to say, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that each one of these series of sevens gets progressively intense. It is like the NBA playoffs. I mean, you win the first round, you go to the second round, it's a little more intense. You win the second round, you go to the next round, you get to the, it's more intense. And that's what's happening in these numbered sequences of seven. Uh, Each one gets more intense. All right, uh, uh, the, the first six trumpets, like the first six seals, have this, there's, there's six of them, and then there's a break. And there's a break between seal number six, sorry, trumpet number six and trumpet number seven as well. And we'll talk about that more when we get to that. Uh, now, let's, again, uh, in terms of trumpets, there's a lot of trumpets in the Old Testament. Can, can you think of any situations where there were some trumpets? You can cheat the answers. Sorry? Yeah, I, yeah. Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. Do, do, you, do you remember that there were seven priests that were going to blow trumpets? And what was going to be the, what, what was the impact of blowing those trumpets? Ultimately, there was destruction of Jericho, this uh, city that was in opposition to God's people was going to fall with a mighty crash. Before that, these trumpets, uh, do I have this in here? 
As Joshua had commanded the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. Now picture that. This is, I don't know, Jim Turner, would we recommend this as military strategy or not? But this is God with his priests and the ark of the covenant. What's the ark of the covenant? What's the significance of that? Lots of things we could say, God's presence, God's presence, God's holy presence, uh, blowing these trumpets. First uh, Chronicles 15, you can also read Nehemiah 12. It's another example of it. Seven priests, and their, their names were there, uh, grumpy, sleepy. No, no, I'm kidding. Uh, it wasn't that. It was names that are hard to pronounce. But these seven, and they're all names, seven of them, these priests should blow the trumpets before the ark of God. So a second time in the Bible, and, and then in, in the book of Nehemiah, when they're dedicating the wall of Jerusalem, seven priests with trumpets, again, we're going to sound these things. So at least twice here, Joshua in the battle of Jericho, and then uh, at the, this Chronicles reference is when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. That was mildly exciting for David. You, you remember that? Okay, and, and these priests are, what are they doing? They're announcing God's back or God's coming. Uh, so so that, that's what a trumpet did. Trumpets were also used. Uh, here's the reference for you. Ezekiel chapter 33. There's a whole paragraph about it. Warning, the watchman on the wall, when he sees trouble coming, think of it, think of this book of Revelation here now. When he sees trouble coming, what's he supposed to do? Sound the trumpet. Warn people that trouble is coming. And uh, there's all this conversation about if he doesn't do it, he's going to be responsible. If he does do it, here's the verse in our sheet. If anyone hears the sound of the trumpet, does not take warning, his blood's going to be on his own head. Uh, I live in Collierville, and I'm sitting in my chair at noon on Saturday, just about every Saturday. And then, uh, <laughs> it's, it's so fun to hear it. Uh, this is an emergency alert. From the city of Collierville. And it's kind of echoey and it's talking real slow. And then this siren goes off. And then when the siren starts going off, all the dogs, there's a bloodhound, you know, three, three, they all, they all, you know, the dogs howl and the sirens going. And they're just testing it. But there might come a time where that siren means something. Now, this is interesting. I was out in Oregon in the 2000s four times. Cannon Beach, Oregon, and out there, they have a risk of tsunamis, and they're a big deal. It's like tornadoes if you live in Oklahoma, and they're, the way they tested that tsunami warning sound was a cow mooing because they didn't want to alarm anybody, so moo, you'd hear this cow mooing, you know, this is just a test, moo, just... <laughs> It's Oregon, okay? You know, everybody hang loose, you know, smoke another joint. It'll be okay. Uh, we're just testing the tsunami siren. Uh, but we, uh, these things are given to us uh, so that we can pay attention. So here, here are these trumpets. Joel chapter 2, blow a trumpet, sound an alarm. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day 
of the Lord is coming. Now, I think that helps me understand what these trumpets are doing here. Seals get opened. The lamb opens the seals. So now the scroll that was in the hand of God is uh, able to be opened. But now we have seven trumpets that get sounded. Warning of judgment that is coming. Primarily directed to those who are not followers of the Lamb. Uh, That's designed to give us hope and encouragement that God is on the throne and one day he's going to make it all right. So here are these trumpets. Uh, We have four of them in chapter 7 and they follow this same sequence. A trumpet gets sounded, a plague comes down on the earth and there are consequences of that plague. Here's what, here's what I'm talking about. Verse 7, the first angel blew his trumpet. There followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And here's the consequence. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. And all green grass was burned up. This happens four times. Second angel Uh, Do you see that a third of the sea became blood, third of the living creatures, third of the ships? Uh, Third angel blew his trumpet, great star fell from heaven. This is apocalyptic language. This is shocking. It's designed to get our attention. Uh, The the star, this blazing star turned a a third of the rivers. The, The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, many people died from the water because it had made, been made bitter. That's what wormwood means, bitter. Fourth angel blew his trumpet. Do you see how many times this idea of a third occurs? You may or may not remember that when the seals were being opened, a fourth of the earth had trouble. Now, which is, more, which is greater, a fourth or a third? I'm picturing jokes with kids, you know, would you rather have four? Uh, so, but, but what is, so a fourth was happening with the seals, but now these are the trumpets. They're warning of judgment. It's more intense, more bad things are happening. A greater degree of bad things are happening, but it's restrained. Only a third. Do you see that? Do you see that judgment is being poured out, but there's restraint. Do you see that the heat is being turned up? But there's restraint. Okay, you see that, I hope. And then at the end of the chapter, this this eagle is crying out, uh, woe, do you see this? This is a big group of people in the book of Revelation, verse 13. Woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Uh, woe to those who dwell on the earth. The earth dwellers are not the people that are following the lamb. All right, now, in conclusion, the preface that we have at the top of the sheet, verses two through six, has to do with something that takes place before the throne of God. There's a censor, not, not somebody who goes around telling people not to do stuff, but a, a little pan. And you would put incense on the censer. You picture a Greek Orthodox priest doing this, or maybe you've been to Bethlehem and you see these guys with these censers and they're, they're burning incense. And the incense symbolically and literally 
is a sweet smell that's going up. And so an angel stood at the altar with a golden censer. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. Maybe the incense was the prayers. Maybe the incense was with the prayers. But, but here that the prayers of the saints were before the throne. And the smoke of the incense goes up. Do you see this? It's rising before God. All right, that's action number one. Incense is going up before God and it's prayers of the saints. Action number two is from heaven down to earth. Verse five, the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled or threw it to the earth. And there was thunder, lightning, and an earthquake. Uh, Okay, Uh, four little points of reflection or application here in conclusion. First of all, number one, uh, silence. Every once in a while, it's good just to stop and be silent. Uh, Silence allows us to have anticipation. Silence allows us to have meditation. Silence allows us to just watch and wait. Okay? Silence. It's good for us all. Uh, Number two, prayer. Prayers of the saints. Do you know that you're a saint? If you're unclear about that, read Ephesians. Uh, We're saints. Your prayers are in the presence of God. That's what this is saying. These prayers were in God's presence. Not only that... But God takes these prayers. There's a prayer in chapter 7. How long, O Lord, are we going to suffer? How long is this going to go on? Lord, how long are you going to allow blank in my life? Uh, The the, the prayer of the people in chapter 7 is, how how many more people are going to have to die here? How many more Christians are going to have their heads cut off because they're following Jesus Christ in a hostile environment? That's very relevant to a lot of people here and now. Not here, but now. Here on this earth, now. So the the point for all of us, the point for you today, is that prayer is efficacious. God hears your prayers. So give him something to listen to. If anything's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. So just pray poorly. And if you don't know what to say, go back into the book and get some of these short little prayers. Oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true. Okay? Uh, Lord, you're worthy. Go back and get a couple and just say them first. It might sound silly. You might want to do it in the car by yourself or, you know, when nobody's watching. Okay, so prayer. God's presence Calamity on earth. Calamity is is pouring down on earth and it's coming from God. But it's not all done yet. There's a sense of delay. There's a sense of restraint. And you know what that is? That's mercy. That's long suffering. That is God not wanting anybody to perish but all to come to repentance. The fact of the matter is, all are not going to repent. We'll see that later on in the book. Uh, Here's a quote at the bottom of the page. 
All of us are going to die. Our ultimate destiny is not determined by the moment or the manner of our death, but by the true and just judgments which proceed from the great white throne. Our destiny is determined by God. We heard that last chapter. Salvation belongs to the Lord, not to us. The idea that life on earth is so infinitely precious that the death which robs us of it is the ultimate tragedy is precisely the idolatry that John is trying here to combat. If all men must die, then it is surely in accord with the mercy of God that he should send men forceful reminders of the insecurity of their tenure of life on this earth. Dying is not the ultimate tragedy. Paul said, I desire to depart and be with Christ. That's better by far. Okay? Uh, That's what this book is designed to remind us of. Things are going to be, we're going to have tribulation in the world. But be of good cheer. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. How did he do it? Ultimately, by suffering and dying and entrusting himself to a faithful creator who was going to raise him from the dead. Let's close in prayer. Father, may we be encouraged that you are sovereign and that the calamities that we see around us, the groanings of the earth, are all part of your plan to make sure that that you have our attention. Lord, give us comfort. The devil wants us to be discouraged and not faithful in prayer. The devil wants us to say, he doesn't care, what's the use? But this text tells us that you do care and that the prayers that go to heaven have an impact on what you do here on earth. So Lord, with that in mind, receive our prayers at the beginning of the hour. With that in mind, may we all find ourselves not understanding how it's gonna work out, not thinking that you're gonna listen to us or not based on how good we are, but knowing that you've ordained to hear the prayers of your people. So teach us more about what it is to pray in Jesus' name, amen.